Here's the headline this week in the USA Today. After nearly 600 days of presidential campaign, many Americans have had enough. Anybody feel like that? You know, listen, um, our, our election lasts about 600 days. You compare that to other countries, uh, England might be 140 days maximum. Uh, Japan has a 12-day max of campaigns. So how many of you are sort of tired of this election cycle? Raise your hand, all right? Now, don't raise your hand on this next question. How many of you ever been tired of church? Well, we've all been there, haven't we? Uh, I can remember as a teenager one time going to a church service. It was uh, three and a half hours long, all right? And you guys complain about us. Three and a half hours long. Uh, if you're old enough, many of you in here can remember when there were one-week revivals, you know. They'd start Sunday and go through Friday. Some of you older can remember even two-week, what we call gospel meetings. They would go Sunday to Sunday to the next Sunday, and you'd have service in the morning and the evening. And so maybe you got tired because it was just so much church. Maybe it wasn't so much church. It might have been a short service, but you just felt like you were there under obligation. You were just checking off the appropriate things in the appropriate way so you could get by with it. Or maybe you got tired of church just because it, it was actually just sort of boring and, and you, you couldn't stay awake. Church I grew up in, we had this woman who fell asleep every Sunday. Now, her name was Bill, which was probably not a good sign anyway, all right? But not only would she fall asleep, she would snore so loud you could hear across the whole auditorium. And none of us ever woke her up, none of us ever rebuked her, because um, I think we were all just jealous she could sleep that well in church, you know? So sometimes we, we get tired of this. Now, here's what I want you to know this morning. Here's the headline from the passage we're studying from Isaiah 1. God's tired of our church services. You know, so often we think about church and we go get in our car and we go to the restaurant and, and we analyze the service and what we liked, what we didn't like, what went well and what didn't go well. The perspective we need to take this morning is not how do you feel about it or how do I feel about it, but how does God feel about it? And in this passage, God breaks out in his frustration of their ongoing services and says, guys, I want to tell you this, I don't care how you feel about it right now, but I'll tell you how I feel about it, I'm tired of it. I mean, start with me in verse 10, Isaiah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. He starts off calling them names. You rulers of Sodom, listen to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Calling his people Sodom and Gomorrah was not a compliment. It's almost like the day Jesus got so frustrated with Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. And God's so frustrated, he said, you guys are like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now listen, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. 
new moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon feasts, and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. And then he says, even when you spread out your hands in prayer. You guys, listen to me. In the Bible, people have raised their hands all through the Bible is a symbol of submission and surrender and praise to God. For some of us, that's new. I remember a few years ago, God cornered me in the back of the church and saying, buddy, did you see those people in church raising their hands? He was actually quite angry. I said, well, yeah. And I was trying to calm him down. So I said, you do know it's in the Bible. And then he looked at me and said, I know. Like he was so disturbed by God letting it in there. You know what I'm saying? But in this day, even the hand raisers, you know, the folks who are really into worship, they're displeasing God. He said, I'm tired of you raising your hands in prayer and not meaning what you're saying. I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Because your hands, the very hands you hold up to me are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Now this morning, I want to share with you really quickly what makes God tired of what we're doing here today. First of all, God's tired of our church services if they don't lead to integrity. One translation has God saying here, I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. Because to have integrity is simply a good word to mean that your life is integrated. That what happens here is not different than what happens in your home. What happens here at church, you're not a different person when you're at work or you're at school or on the athletic field. It's all integrated. And what he's saying is, I don't really give a flip about you guys coming together to worship if it doesn't change the way you act out there. If you come to church and you watch your language and you go home and you let it all fly, that's not good. You know, if you come to church and you try to act holy and you go home and your mind is full of evil, that's not good. He said, what I want is your your life to come together. Now, here's the great temptation for all of us that are religious. And that's that we begin to believe that going through the correct ritual makes us right with God. If I can just go to church and we do the the five items and we do them correctly, then somehow that's what makes me right with God. And God says, I've had enough of your ritual. What I really want is I want your heart. Religious activity without a changed life is actually dangerous. Very dangerous. And the next point, God gets tired of our church services if they don't lead to compassion. Uh, Some translations put it this way. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the helpless. You see, the problem under our first point was that we go to church and then we just go out and we rebelliously sin. And really the problem in the second point is basically the same. Guys, here's what the word sin means. The word sin means to miss the mark. What is the mark? You and I have been created in the very image of God. We are created to be like God. And so when I miss the mark by doing bad things that are opposed to the character of God, or if I miss the mark 
by not doing good things that are part of the character of God, then I've sinned. And guys, here's the cool thing if you read through the Bible. If God has a heart for anybody, if God plays favorites at all through Scripture, it's to the underdog, it's to the less fortunate, it's the people that everybody else is tempted to leave out. God says, those are the people I'm after. And when his people, when we can gather and have a great assembly like we are this morning, and we can walk out here, and we're not compassionate, and we're not caring, now it gets pretty specific here. And I'll ask you, as you prepare to vote, and I wouldn't dare tell anybody how to vote, but here's something Christian people need to think about. Are the issues God mentions here part of how we vote? Do, do we, what does he say here? Learn to do good. Seek justice. Because what kills me is Christian people can meet in assemblies like this, and then we can go out here, and we're not upset by injustice. We're not upset when people are treated wrong because of the color of their skin. We're not upset when the court system is stacked against different people. My friends, we've got to be people who seek justice. We've got to be people who help the oppressed. We don't need to be the people who walk out here going, if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be in problem. If they'd not made those stupid decisions, they wouldn't be walking on the streets. They wouldn't be on welfare. My friends, that's not our role. It doesn't matter why they're there. In God's eyes, it matters what we're going to do when we get out to help people. We're going to defend the cause of the orphans. We're going to fight for the rights of the widows. Because that's very specific agenda God has. And we as people, we've got to be there for those who cannot defend themselves. That's what he's saying. Now let me just be blatantly honest with you for a moment. The issue that bothers me more than anything, every campaign that really just gets under my skin, is the abortion issue. I just get, it just, it just drives me crazy to hear the defense of what I believe is murder. And, and it really makes me mad because I don't think many people really defend it in a good way. And guys, if anybody's helpless and defenseless, it's that baby in that womb. And, and, and we as Christian people, we have to care about that. But listen to me. We're going to be hypocritical if we walk out of here and we are anti-abortion and we're not pro-adoption. There is a problem if I care about the baby only in the womb, but I don't care about the baby outside of the womb. That's what gives us a bad name. And God says, you've got to wake up about that. You've got to be the people that are compassionate the whole way through. And that's our focus today. Here's our focus, is defending the cause of the fatherless. Now, we understand what it means to defend somebody, don't we? Uh, if we, we know there are external threats to our country, we get all of our defenses up. We're ready to protect our homeland, as we should. You understand, even in personal relationships, normally we don't call this a compliment, but, but sometimes someone puts us on the defensive. You know, someone says something that, you know, they criticize us or they say something wrong and, and we, we, we get quickly on the defensive. It means, uh, you know, our, our rancor is up, our walls are up, and we sometimes start firing back. In some contexts, that's bad. In this context, you and I need to be on the defensive. When we see people who cannot defend themselves, people that are in trouble, that are being abused, are being not just abused but neglected, we need to get our rancor up, our defenses up, and go to battle. And that's what today is all about, is that we as a church, 
we would say on this day, we're here to help the people who cannot help themselves. And let me say this, when it comes to adoption, could there anything, could there be anything you could do on this earth that would be more godlike than to adopt? Because here's, here's the blessing we have as we celebrate today, is that God has adopted us into his family. We didn't deserve it. We made some stupid decisions that got us in trouble. And thank goodness our God didn't shake his head and said, well, if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be so bad off. He said, you know, I don't care about I care about you. And so we've been adopted. Now, look at some of these statistics with me for a moment about this, this crisis of orphans across the world. I'll just give these to you pretty quickly. There's 143 million orphaned and vulnerable children in the world today. Just, just to let you get a better picture of it. There's as many orphaned children in this one country of Ethiopia as people, as the 8 to 10 million people in greater New York City. In one country. In our country. There are 800,000 children who pass through our country's foster care system each year. And 129,000 here in America are waiting to be adopted. That's why I love this ministry we celebrate in this church today called Our Father's Heart. What could be a better name for a ministry about adoption and orphan care and about foster care than the Father's Heart because it reflects the Father's Heart? Now, those are some bleak statistics. Let me give you a mega encouraging statistic I found this week. Listen to this. If one family in every three churches in America, just one in every three churches, in America adopted a child, every child in need of a family in the United States would be adopted. Is that not crazy? Just not every church even, one family, but just one out of three. There's lots of churches. And that's what fires me up so much about the movement that's going on across our country that's been going on in this church for at least a decade of people saying, we want to be a part of the solution. We, we, we want to care for the orphans and the widows. We're going to do that. Even today, we have two families here in our audience right now who've adopted over the last month, one from China and one from Florida. And we'll get to celebrate that at the end of our service. That's beautiful. So God says, you know, I'm sick of your assemblies, even though they were my idea. I'm sick of them if it doesn't lead to a life of integrity, that your life being different. And I'm sick of it if it doesn't lead to a, a ministry of compassion. And then he gives us some hope at the end of that Isaiah passage. Read with me Isaiah 1. Let's go to verse 18. Come now, let us settle this matter. Don't you love that about God? I'm really mad at you guys, but I want to get it straight. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now here's the point. God's tired of our church services if they don't lead to his grace. If they don't lead to Jesus's grace. You say, where do you get that in the passage? The, the word used right there in verse 18 was God said, Let, let's come settle this matter. That, that literally is a Hebrew word that's a legal term. What it means is, let, let's go to court and let's get this right. 
God says, I want my relationship with you right. Let, let's get this straight. Now, when does that literally happen? It happens through Jesus Christ. You read the book of Romans? The, the book of Romans is Paul's legal argument as to why we can be saved. The book of Romans is a court scene that has us appearing before the courtroom of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the judgment has come, and then the most amazing thing happens. After God has pronounced judgment, God comes to this earth, and he takes upon himself the punishment due us. He settles the matter. And so, guys, when we come together, you know, we think about these areas we're talking about today, you know, of living a holy and pure life of integrity, of being a person of compassion. Any of us in here feel perfect about this? I don't. I mean, we, we all struggle, don't we? We all sin. And in this passage, there's even a difference in just sort of sin of weakness and, and rebellious sin. This week, I had one of those cool moments. You, you probably have these periodically. When you just slow down enough to go, wow, isn't life good? And I just had this moment where it just hit me. Buddy, you are so amazingly blessed. You ever had that moment? But as soon as I had that thought, I had an interrupting moment. Then I said to myself, but buddy... You're not worthy of this. This is going to crash. You're not worthy of this. I, I know too much about you. You ever had that moment? I mean, right in the middle of the blessing, you go, oop, I don't deserve this. And then I had a third thought that sort of corrected the whole matter. That's the point. You don't deserve it. That's okay you don't deserve it. It's not about you being worthy. It's about Jesus being worthy. And guys, that's what we've got to experience as we come together, is we come to gather in this assembly. This has got to be a place of grace. Oh, can we be convicted about what's going on in our life and what's not so good? Yes, but it's a place of grace and forgiveness where you walk out of this assembly, not with this guilt feeling, oh gosh, I'm not worthy and I shouldn't really be able to celebrate this. But the point is, who cares I'm not worthy? Jesus has been that good to me. So let's, let's talk about what matters to God. Let's look at a few more passages before we close out. What does God desire? New Testament sums up this teaching really well in three passages I want to show you this morning. First of all, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Verse, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you notice the contrast there? We're not saved by works, but we're created to do works. Wes Coring shared with me a great quotation from Tony Evans this week. He says this, Far too many of us are satisfied with the part of Christianity that takes us to heaven, but not the part of Christianity that brings heaven to earth. My friends, we've been commissioned not just to enjoy our salvation, but to bring the will of God in heaven to this earth. Look at this passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What are you saying, Paul? What Paul is saying, listen to me. Paul's saying is, your worship does not end when you leave this building. 
We, we say, well, how'd you like worship? Well, let's go to worship. No, no, that's not proper biblical language. The biblical language is when you walk out of here, this worship continues in the way that you live your life as a sacrifice for others. And then, boy, he gets really specific, James does, in James 1.27. The worship that God wants is this. Drum roll, please. The worship that God wants is this. Listen. Caring for orphans or widows who need help in keeping yourself free from the world's evil influence. Wow. What you say? This is still the heart of God to care for those people, the widows and the orphans. I love in this church we have a ministry you can sign up for next Sunday on Faith Works Day called James 127. And it, it, it's a ministry to widows, and they do a beautiful job. And that's what God wants. God wants what happens here to continue out there. This just being here is not the goal. The goal is we come here to be transformed so that we can go out there and transform our broken world. So let me sort of sum it up this way. Here's what we need to have. We need to have great worship services. It's not that God's against what we're doing here. It was his idea. But we need to add to that, we need not only great worship services, we need great worship service. When I go out of here, it needs to go into service in this community. And when you have great worship services and great worship service, what you will get is never being tired of church. When that starts happening, church is no longer a bore. Let's talk about each one of these for a second. Listen to me. We need to have great worship services. I want to tell you, maybe you notice it, maybe you don't. But we work really hard at what happens in this building on Sunday mornings. We spend countless hours in preparation, lots of time on our knees praying. Because we want, when you walk in this building, for it to be an encounter with God. Many of us have grown up in too many churches where we were just going through the motions. And I hope you sense that we're never doing that. Not that we're perfect, but that's what we're doing. And, and our plan is for this service to last an hour and 15 minutes. Frankly, for a, a tradition that takes the Lord's Supper every day, and for a church that is as responsive as we are publicly, we've we got to have an hour and 15 minutes. And guys, let me tell you, sometimes we don't, we don't even fit in there because so much is going on. You know, if you're watching the World Series this week, you probably got excited when it went into extra innings, didn't you? And if you go watch your favorite football team, you don't leave the stadium if it goes into overtime. But when it comes to church, because somehow you guys think God vacates the building at 12 o'clock. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to come here ready to give an hour and 15 minutes. I'm telling you guys, it was more obvious to me last Sunday than I've ever seen. When the invitation was going on, there was a flood of you, not walking down this way, but walking that way. And I'm going to tell you, there, there's something just wrong about that. People are trying to decide whether they're going to give their life to Christ or not, or they're going to confess their sins and need your support, and you're too busy trying to get to the restaurant before the Baptist folks get there. I mean, I'm telling you guys, that needs to stop. It really does. And guys, you know, we talk about years ago, people giving weeks and two weeks, you know, Guys, we're asking you once a week to come in here and give your time. And I want to challenge some of you. You need to get here on time. It's, it's hard to put your 
self in worship, it's hard not to disrupt other people in worship when you're arriving late and you're leaving early. Because let, let's make this great. You put the prayer and preparation into this, you be asking God to move despite you got weak people leading this, and, and let's come here with an expectation of what God can do. And then we do that, we walk away from this place. I mean, it's like we've been to an amazing pep rally, and we walk out of here, you know, and we're ready to run through a wall for Jesus. And, and we see someone who needs help, we want to help them. And we see a need, we want to meet it. And so the worship doesn't stop here, it continues. Then when we get back together the next Sunday, man, we just pump ourselves up a little bit more. We go out more. And I'm telling you guys, when this happens, you're not going to be tired of church. When your life is being changed. Now, if you're coming to church every Sunday and you're punching the clock and you're still doing the same sinful things you did 15 years ago, church is probably a bore to you. If you're walking out of here and your heart's not full of compassion and you're not involved in someone's life, you're so self-consumed with yourself that you're not involved in someone's life, this is going to be a bore no matter how hard we work at it. But I'm telling you, if we will put our heart into it and we'll let our heart go out of here, then I'm telling you what, this is not going to be boring because every Sunday we're going to see new people. And every Sunday you're going to look across the aisle and you're going to see someone who you know's lives change. And every Sunday you're going to even be able to look in your heart and go, you know what, I'm not who I ought to be, but I'm sure better than I was two weeks ago. And guys, when we start doing that, I'm telling you, that's when we're not going to be tired of church. And so this morning, as we prepare to sing, is today the day that you need to find this forgiveness that we're talking about? Is today the day that you need to put your heart back into what God's doing? Some of you, you, you may just admit it. I'm just punching a clock. I don't get into singing. I don't really think during the Lord's Supper. I watch my watch all the time during the message. And I'm in a hurry to get out of here. I'm not saying to get on to you that because I've been in the same place before. My first youth ministry job, I got in trouble with the elders because I'd fall asleep during the preacher's sermon. (laughs) Not a good thing. But I am saying to you, you know, we, we had a great men's retreat this weekend. John A. Matheson said so many awesome things. And one thing that just convicted the fire out of me is he said, what we need in the church today is we need possibility thinkers. We need to, to let God redefine what we think is possible. Could we redefine this morning that it would be possible you'd be so excited about church that you'd get here early? So excited about fellowship with God's people that you'd stay late? So engaged in worship that you lose yourself? Can can we think of that? And that it would motivate us out of our mind to go out here and be the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus? Man, that's what could happen. That's what God's so mad at these people because they're losing out on what God could do. He loves them. He loves them enough to say, guys, something's wrong. And guys, here, if something is wrong in your life that's holding you back from a relationship with God that overflows in worship and service, then why don't you do something about it right now while we stand together and sing?